0: When I started out 12 years ago, no one would ever talk to me about it. It was like this weird little secret world. But they've become a lot more open about it recently, and madness, I think, has really helped.
1: That's my colleague Ben Adams, talking about the Fierce Madness competition. You're going to want to hear about this. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Life Sciences. Today's May 6th, and this episode is brought to you by GoodRx and RBC Capital Markets. We're here every Friday morning, so stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. Our teams here at Fierce Biotech and Fierce Pharma are at it again, bringing you our assessment of the most influential people in biopharma. Each week, we'll add five more honorees to the list, anywhere from influential scientists to entrepreneurs and regulatory experts. Today, we're going to talk about our first nominees, five game-changing CEOs. More on that later, but first, this week's news. Here's what you need to know.
2: I'm Adelie Armstrong. Aphe's chickens, or rather tropical seabirds, have come home to roost. Aphe made an interesting bet in 2018 to buy a clutch of cystic fibrosis meds from the biotech Galapagos. Under Galapagos' care, the drugs had posted some underwhelming data leading some to question AbbVie's thought process. Fast forward four years, and the bet has not paid off. AbbVie has announced that one of the meds in the collection didn't do anything when added as a third treatment for a triple combo attack in cystic fibrosis. The two meds alone, however, performed as expected. The company is now ditching the Galapagos med and moving on with a dual therapy. The news was not particularly surprising, given the earlier concerns. APFI still has its eye on a triple combo, with another med slated to fill that third spot. APFI needed the triple attack to go up against Vertex, which is by far the dominant player in cystic fibrosis. Seems Vertex still dominates the pecking order.
3: $93 billion. That's how much the drug Revlimid has generated in sales since it hit the market in 2006. It's a blood cancer drug, and each year its sales have gone up. Last year, it reached $12.8 billion. Celgene, the company that developed Revlimid, worked hard to extend its patents, which were first due to expire in 2019. But those patents have finally exhausted clearing the way for other drug companies to produce cheaper generic versions of Revlimid. Bristol-Myers Squibb bought Celgene in 2019, and last week, when Bristol-Myers reported its earnings for the first quarter, it delivered some bad news. Revlimid sales are eroding faster than the company anticipated. In the fourth quarter of last year, sales of Revlimid were $3.3 billion, but in the first quarter of this year, those sales slid to $2.8 billion. That's largely an effect of generic drug competition in Europe, which began in February. As for the United States, generics really kick into gear this quarter, so the company projects sales of Revlimid to only reach $2 billion this period. As a result of all this, Bristol-Myers has reduced its total revenue guidance for the year by $600 million. What's the old saying in that insurance commercial? Life comes at you fast? Well, in the case of aging blockbuster drugs, generics can come at you fast.
4: I'm Connor Hale. COVID test makers saw sky-high sales last quarter thanks to the Omicron variant. But now, many companies aren't expecting that demand to continue. Abbott set a pandemic record with more than $3.3 billion in COVID test sales, but it expects that money to make up the lion's share of its 2022 COVID testing revenue. Meanwhile, Thermo Fisher brought in $1.7 billion, but it's forecasting a sharp drop as the pandemic turns more endemic. It expects to make another $225 million by the end of June and see its sales continue to drop for the rest of the year. Similarly, after making $650 million last quarter, Hologic expects its testing revenues to decrease in the months ahead. However, it's banking on the companies it bought last year to pull it through. At the same time, BD's COVID test sales dropped by more than half compared to last year. They're now down to just $214 million, but the company still saw higher-than-expected demand for its combination tests, which screened for both COVID and the flu. However, one company going against the trend is Siemens Healthineers. Although a little late to the game, it's already collected $722 million since it started selling rapid tests in the U.S. in January. That's a larger contribution to its bottom line than its entire cancer-focused variant division, which the company paid more than $16 billion to acquire just last year. I'm Max Baer. 2021 was a revolutionary year for Moderna. Its COVID vaccine raked in billions of dollars in sales, and the company's total revenue grew more than 2,000% compared to the year before. Yeah, you heard that right. But as companies and governments alike brace for COVID to enter an endemic stage, Moderna is looking for new sources of success. One consideration is a merger or acquisition. Moderna CEO Stefan Bansel said in the company's latest earnings call that he's never been as busy. He is now considering whether to scoop up other companies, but he wouldn't zero in on what he has in mind. But he did say their search is worldwide and across therapeutic areas. In the meantime, both Bansal and President Stephen Hogue are hopeful that Moderna's rare disease program has the potential to match the early success of its vaccine roster.
2: I'm Annalie Armstrong. One single patient received an experimental diabetes cell therapy last fall. And the response from that exciting experiment surprised Vertex. Then on Monday, the pharma got another big surprise. This one, unwanted. The FDA has slapped a clinical hold on the treatment, which the company believes could help patients produce their own insulin. The agency's concern, although not well-defined, is that Vertex has not produced enough evidence to move to the next stage of the phase 1-2 trial. The initial patients had only a half dose, whereas the next part of the trial would use a full dose. So far, what patient had that full dose, But the FDA has asked Vertex to pump the brakes for now. Carmen Bozak, a Vertex executive, said the FDA action was a surprise. As VX880 has so far showed a clean safety profile, and efficacy has been, as she says, pretty impressive. We'll likely hear more from Vertex about the FDA's concerns later this month.
5: I'm Andrea Park. There's a new tooth fairy in town, and it goes by the name of the FDA. But instead of leaving quarters under pillows... The agency is handing out marketing clearances to dental technology developers. The latest teeth tech cleared by the FDA is an artificial intelligence algorithm from Vidya Health that spots cavities in patient x rays. The AI was trained using Vidya Health's own database of dental scans. It's called the Vidya Factory, and the company says its 10 million data points make up the dental industry's most diverse data set. With that training under its belt, the AI algorithm is able to quickly analyze x-rays to highlight any potential cavities. In clinical trials, the AI helped dentists reduce the number of missed cavities by more than 40%. It also improved on the number of incorrect diagnoses by about 15%. Vidya Health said it wants dentists to use the AI to help patients get better care and avoid the crushing costs of unnecessary procedures. They hope to get the technology into more than 6,700 practices by the end of next year. Now that's a plan you can really sink your teeth into.
6: As a biopharma professional, you know how difficult marketing your drug has become. Well, GoodRx is here to help. GoodRx is a better way to reach the right audience at the right time. Your brand can connect with millions of qualified patients and providers during the most pivotal moments in their healthcare journey. With over 20 million monthly users, GoodRx provides a trusted platform to help your brand build awareness offer better access, and remove barriers to adherence. Learn more about the benefits of GoodRx at www.goodrx.com solutions.
1: Biogen has been battling all year over Adjahelm's controversial FDA approval. And the result of that struggle has been a major company reorganization, and that includes the CEO, Vunatsus. He is stepping down after a five-year term, and a hunt for his replacement is already underway. Here to talk more about that is Annalee Armstrong, our senior editor of Fierce Biotech, and managing editor, Carita Anderson.
7: Annalee, lots to dive into here. Biogen's been in the news for a while now, but even by Biogen news standards, this week has been pretty significant. The company said goodbye to its CEO and almost most of its Adoham commercial team. And analyst said something like, the news shows that Biogen can make tough decisions. I agree, but I would also add another keyword, finally. It shows that Biogen is finally willing to make tough decisions. But I say that because the Adam cycle has been such a long one, right? It seems like a long time coming,
2: as you said. The CEO, Vunatsu, has been around for about five years. I think it's interesting to see him depart at this point. We're coming up on about the year mark since Adjuhelm was approved um, under the accelerated review pathway from the FDA. It it has been bad news after bad news for Biogen. So this is
7: a bit of a turning point. It goes back to even its clinical trial stage and how it designed those trials and the results that came out and how they were mixed and then Biogen going back and re-looking at that data and then saying all of a sudden that it was good. And so today's, this week's news definitely seems just like the cherry on top of all of that. Even at the approval stage, there was first Biogen's approval. Biogen got approved with a really broad label and then the FDA narrowed the label. Biogen dropped its price. When have we ever seen a company launch with a certain price and then drop its price? within months of the lot. I can't remember that at all. Yeah, probably never. (laughs) Probably never, exactly. And I can't imagine that happening. So just like you said, one bad decision after the other, and then it culminated, as you pointed out as well, with the CMS decision and how that really just narrowed Biogen's eligible patients for uh, adjohelm coverage. Yeah, so that CMS
2: decision came down a couple weeks ago. They finalized a coverage determination that would trim adjohelm's use to only patients in clinical trials, which was A pretty devastating decision because that meant that Biogen's drug couldn't get coverage for anybody who wants to take it. That finalized decision had a lot of ripple effects across the industry. There's a couple other companies that are developing Alzheimer's drugs. With that in hand, Biogen had to make these tough decisions. So of course you mentioned they're going to be trimming the commercial infrastructure for Agihelm, So that's going to save them about $500 million. And that's on top of another $500 million that they had identified as savings back in December. So they're now looking to cut about $1
7: billion. What do we think about the CEO departing and what's going to come next?
2: What I'm hearing this morning is that Biogen, it's an amicable split. Vinat has said that it's time to go. Who knows what actually happened in that boardroom? I would have loved to be there. (laughs) Oh, fly on
7: the wall. That would be brilliant.
2: Yes, yes. They're being pretty quiet about what exactly they want at this point. Perhaps they'll detail some more as we get further out from this just initial announcement but what i really thought was interesting is that biogen was trying to shift the focus towards their next alzheimer's drug which is called lacanumab but rbc capital markets put out a poll that said most investors want someone with experience in business development either in licensing deals or acquisitions biogen is saying hey look at this new shiny drug that's going to fix everything and investors are saying yeah we don't care let's just buy some more companies
7: or drugs." And it does have a decent amount of money. So that is a possibility. And you also have to wonder why it's not trying to do both things.
2: Yeah. So the company has about $4.75 billion in cash to play with. That could be a pretty significant deal or a couple of deals. Another option here is that Biogen could get bought itself. Mm, That's Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was one another trait that investors
7: identified is somebody who can essentially clean up and sell a company, and that's not within without precedent, right? We have seen other big companies of biogen size have a slew of bad decisions and get picked up uh, by you know other companies.
2: It's going to take a big pharma to, to buy biogen. I believe today they have a market cap of about thirty point two billion dollars. Yesterday, when all of this news was announced, their shares went from about two. $112
7: a piece to 205 today. There's a dip right now. <laughs> That's sizable for a company of that size. Yes. And like you said, Biogen definitely wants us to think about the catamab and focus on that. That is their next Alzheimer's co- candidate with EISI. I do find it a bit ironic that the drugs phase, tri- uh, phase three trial is named Clarity. Yeah. So certainly hope it provides that. What what do you think about that? What are the expe- expectations for clarity?
2: Yeah, I, I'd like that you pointed out that it's called clarity. I know that Jeffrey's made a bit of a quip in one of their notes. They're like, what happens if clarity doesn't provide clarity, which is what Biogen desperately needs. Alzheimer's is such a tough disease. Can Lecanemab fix Biogen's troubles? I don't know. I think it takes more than just this one drug. But Biogen seems committed to Alzheimer's. Their interim head of research and development, Priya Singhal, said yesterday that they're highly committed to Alzheimer's disease. And Just the double highly to really stress it. Yes, yeah, she said it twice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I know that analysts are a bit concerned about whether lecanemab can hit the primary endpoint, which is one of those very complicated rating scales for Alzheimer's that we don't have to get into. They really need a strong result if they're going to use this as a way, as a path forward in Alzheimer's disease.
7: And that's such a good point. With any Alzheimer's trials, so much rides on enrolling patients who are super early in their disease, also having a really large trial. So hitting that primary endpoint is just going to be pretty tough it's always tough in alzheimer's like it's this disease has such a history
2: of of ruining promising drugs i think a mixed result here is
7: really not going to help biogen it's also quite interesting that biogen is going to continue with the accelerated approval first approach with Lukanumab, even though that didn't work for Adihelm.
2: The difference here is that Biogen does have what they believe to be a study that can confirm the results that the FDA would need. So when you have an accelerated approval, the FDA says, yes, you can start selling this drug, patients can start taking it outside of clinical trials, but you're going to have to confirm the results. With Adihelm, Biogen didn't have that study ready to go they believe that clarity can be used for that confirmatory or what you know you might call a phase four trial. So if that's true, maybe they can turn that accelerated
7: approval into the full approval quickly. If the accelerated approval doesn't pan out, what does that mean for lacanumab and clarity in general? I mean, it just seems to me that even if Clarity works out, you're already setting up the market for negative expectations, and doctors are still going to have some questions.
2: Are doctors just going to be like, "Is this Adjehelm 2.0 all over again?" And how is CMS going to treat that new drug under the accelerated approval pathway? Because they've said that any monoclonal antibody which Lecanemab and Adjehelm are, are, are a part of. Any drug for Alzheimer's is going to have a full FDA approval. So if they launch with accelerated approval, is that going to just
7: stunt their market from the beginning? Mm, Exactly. And yes, we will all be watching for that data and those decisions. Hopefully we'll find out a little bit more in a couple months. Uh, Truly science reporters that we are getting excited for fall
6: because of a data readout. This has definitely been a dizzying week of Biogen news. Yes, definitely. The fast-moving world of biopharma is transforming at a speed never seen before. Stay ahead of the curve with Pathfinders in Biopharma, a podcast series from RBC Capital Markets that takes you inside the changing dynamics of the sector. Hear from biotech CEOs, venture capitalists, and industry-leading investors, and gain the perspectives you need to lead today and define tomorrow. Visit www.rbccm.com biopharma, or check out the latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. It wasn't easy for the team of fierce writers to come up with
1: their list of 20 biopharma powerhouses, but they had some help from our readers who sent in nominations over the past few months. Those that made the shortlist are true leaders, so you may already know their story, but take a listen. There's probably more, and here to break it down is Editor-in-Chief Tracy Staten and Senior Editor Eric Saganowski.
8: Today, we're going to talk about a feature that Fierce Pharma has published on and off for many years, the most influential people in biopharma. So the last time we did the influentials list was October, 2020, when we focused on people who were influential in the fight against COVID. This year we went, we divided the list up into four groups. And so the first installment came out on Monday and it focuses on influential CEOs in the business. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about how the team went about choosing the influentials this year. Sure. The process
9: started in December. We sent out a request to readers to get their early nominations in. And through February and April, we looked at the reader nominations and submitted our own editor and writer nominations. We started to notice some trends pretty quickly. CEOs were obviously a big one, scientists, entrepreneurs, and regulators. So over the course of the the month, we are going to highlight these four groups.
8: So... What makes a person influential in biopharma?
9: Yeah, so a CEO, is it's obvious. When they talk, it makes a headline, people listen. But the other ones aren't as obvious. For a scientist, maybe they discover some early-stage breakthrough that'll become a drug in 10 years and help millions of people. But that's not seen right away. So it's worthwhile highlighting how they've advanced these companies' efforts, even though their name's not necessarily associated with the drug for most people. Regulators are a big one. We've had some interesting regulatory dynamics this year. So you're, talking about,
8: so you're talking about Biogen's approval of Aduhelm, their Alzheimer's drug, which won an accelerated approval from the FDA, but was very controversial because it was approved on biomarker evidence instead of clinical effect. When the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reviewed the drug and reviewed the evidence behind the drug, they decided to limit its use very starkly which was almost a repudiation of the fact that the FDA had approved it. I know on this year's list, we have that from both sides. We have the Biogen CEO as one of our influentials, and then we have the CMS director as another.
9: It it goes to show that just getting an FDA approval doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a great launch. So we thought that was really worth looking into.
8: I, I think this story specifically says, that he's influential because his company showed just how bad a launch can go.
9: It can set you back. It can make, put you in a worse position, actually. I just think that Home story has been so such a big deal this year, and it's really going to send shockwaves through the industry for the next couple of years.
8: Given what's happened to him this week, I think it's important to mention that he's on this list, and he's still, to me, valid as being on this list, even though he's going because he, he's on here for influence in a a not very attractive way. How bad can a drug launch go? (laughs) Good timing for that one. And just the different things that Biogen did along the way to try to get this drug to market at first seemed to really open things up for other drug makers, but then now looks more like it's shutting things down or slowing things down at least.
9: And we have the entrepreneurs. These are bigger names in the industry that keep starting companies, keep doing new things. So it's always worth digging into that group as well.
8: So you're talking about people who start in biotechs and then maybe sell them to pharma or take them public and then grab onto some new science and start another biotech and do the same thing all over again? Exactly. So by the end of May, we'll have our entire list of 20.
9: What, what did you see when reading through this first uh, group of CEOs?
8: One thing that really stood out to me is the obvious choice, CEO of Pfizer, Albert Morla, because he's not just influential in biopharma anymore. He's like a global celebrity at this point for having the COVID vaccine and the COVID antiviral. And he's just been out there a lot on different news programs and presidential press conferences and all over the place, and so he's unlike a lot of pharma CEOs, he really is a household name at this point. And then we also did the Biogen CEO, which he was influential for negative reasons versus positive reasons. And then we had Christy Shaw, who has been on our list of women in life sciences in a couple times in previous years. She used to be with Novartis. She left Novartis to uh, take care of her sister, who had cancer. And then she came back into the industry, working at Lilly as head of their biomedicines business, and then left to become CEO at Kite, which is Gilead's cell therapy subsidiary. Kite is an interesting company. It was a biotech startup that I actually one of those people who has started multiple biotechs at this point, and then Gilead bought it and has. Been operating it as a subsidiary with its own CEO, who is Christy Shaw. Oh, and also Emma Walmsley, who's um, the only woman CEO in Big Pharma. As our profile discusses, she's been under attack from an activist investor, having to deal with all of that. But then she's also presiding over a demerger or spinoff of their consumer health business, which is going to be the biggest IPO in Europe in 10 years. So that's definitely big news. And from a big picture, what makes someone influential? I think like you said, Eric, you, CEOs are obvious choices, but you have to also look at the fact that why is the CEO influential beyond his or her company? I think we do a good job in this year's list of explaining why these particular CEOs are chosen. They're chosen because of, of what they're doing at that company and how that might stand to affect the rest of the industry. Jennifer Doudna, She's very well known and has a book out that has been, I think, a bestseller and has a Nobel Prize as well. Talk about credibility for being influential. That's pretty impressive. But then there are some other people on the list who have been pioneers in other kinds of science who don't have a Nobel Prize, but they have the potential to to really influence a particular vein of science, have pioneered science that may lead to a brand new class of drugs or an entire new field of of endeavor in terms of, you know, looking for the way disease develops or how it can be treated.
9: I'm excited for the report to come out and for readers to take a look. Uh, We had no shortage of CEO nominations. People look to them to figure out what's coming next with the pandemic. GSK is a good one with their consumer healthcare spinoff and the activist investor pressure. Biogen with their troubled Alzheimer's launch was a no-brainer. And with cell therapy being such a big field right now, Kite Pharma was a worthy inclusion as well. Lastly, Merck, they're looking to replace Keytruda later this year. So they are expected to be busy with MA and cancer is growing as always. So th- people are wanting to partner with Merck on cancer research.
8: So one of the reasons why a company that's looking around for MA deals is influential is because that has the potential to reshape the industry in one way or another. I think people speculate about Pfizer making a mega deal all the time, but that's partly because if Pfizer did make a mega deal, it would change the makeup of big pharma. So there's a ripple effect. Anytime a big pharma company is out there looking for deals, stirs up a lot of excitement among investors and observers, but also among biotechs who might be ready to pass their assets along to a partner who can help them take it to the last mile to market and beyond.
9: Yeah, it was a wild time and it it was a great report. It was a fun project at a really tough time.
8: There were some really impressive people on that list. Gemperly
7: and Pudgeny. I think... It's definitely a T. Yeah, Tabanos, Tavo, Tavanos. In Sivri, in my head, I'm like, is that in C? It's a mystery. Our Fierce Madness
1: Drug Naming Championship is the buzz around the newsroom, so I checked in with senior editor Ben Adams, who also ran the competition, to find out what makes a good drug name, and more importantly, how do you pronounce it? So, Ben, can you tell me how to say the winning drug? Is it Tavinos, Tavinos, Tavinus?
0: Yeah, the winner is Tavnios. Tavnios, yeah, there's three syllables and it. it's yeah, pretty simple. Things like Voxogo, which very nearly won, is a bit mad. And Tavnios is, yeah, kind of much more simple and calm. And it's funny, a lot of people seem to enjoy that.
1: This competition doesn't have anything to do with how well the drug works or what it treats, right?
0: We ask you to completely disregard how well it works or how it's been approved.
1: And who gets to vote? Anyone?
0: Anyone. Yeah. And and we also ask people to give comments. People just giving us, you know, crazy reasons why they happen to love or loathe a particular name.
1: Oh, wow. Tell me some of these fun reasons.
0: Yeah, I have to come up with a sounds like, and for each of the 68 finalists, yeah, I think I said Tadneos sounded like a European airline, <laughs> but everybody else quite rightly was like, well, it sounds like, you know, an amazing cafe off the edge of Verona somewhere you know, run by like a sixth generation family with amazing food that no one's ever heard of, but probably some of the best food in the entire world.
1: I actually had an Italian restaurant down the road from me called Trevinos.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty close, isn't it? For a serious drug for an incredibly scary, serious disease, Ibanga is a questionable way to go. But that did fairly well. That's an Ebola drug from Merck. And it sounds like, to me, the kind of 90s rave or something. And yeah, more recently, the COVID vaccines, Comirnaty and SpikeVax, I can't even remember what AstraZeneca's one is. We don't really care about that so much now because we we care more about the company names rather than the actual problems. And a lot of companies are starting to see that. With you coffee. mean culturally,
1: like when I go to get my vaccine, I'm thinking about which one am I getting, the Pfizer or the Johnson & Johnson? You're getting the
0: Pfizer, all that, you? Yeah, exactly. You're not thinking I'm getting spike vax. Most people probably wouldn't know spike vax is Moderna's COVID vaccine.
1: And what was your favorite name? What were you rooting for?
0: I, I thought Saposia was going to win. I don't particularly think it's a great drug. It's a cell genes multiple sclerosis drug it had lots of issues for the company um, and for everything else. But it's
1: not about the drug. It's about the name, right? But no, exactly.
0: So, so yeah, but it's hard for me when I've reported on it for so long to try and make those two things separate in my mind. I like Quinlock. Um, because it does sound like a cyberpunk detective. I like Skytropher as well. Um, Lumacress, I don't know if I love or hate that. It is very weird. Tasverick, Avakit, Libalvi, in uh, Zinlanta, the- Tivida. Anything that's got too many unusual high Scrabble scoring consonants in it just make you trip up when you're, you're reading it and thinking about it. <the>
3: I like Spikevax, I think that's a great name.
7: I
2: had Ibanga going all the way. From a journalist perspective, there were a few that that had Qs in them that didn't have U's after that just drove me absolutely crazy.
4: I think all of the drugs that come with very interesting names of whatever this whatever they are after, but I I personally I don't have a favorite for for the drug names. Ellie.
9: I like Vodzogo.
4: I have
7: a bit of a soft spot for Carendia. So because it sounds a tad like my name, Corito.
0: The one I hated the most was exgivitage. Just <laughs> that
7: sounds like a magic spell
1: in Harry Potter. Yeah,
0: because it just does sound like a, a random noise you will make. Memorable doesn't have to mean crazy.
1: That's it for The Top Line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for the top line. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out on Twitter, at Fierce Biotech or at Fierce Pharma. Until the next readout.